What's up guys and welcome to episode 4 of the Revive Yourself podcast. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Have you got a health issue that just won't go away no matter what you try? Then welcome to the Revive Yourself podcast, where we reveal the secrets to long-lasting health by getting to the root cause of problems that no one else is talking about. So you can have more energy, clear skin, healthier hair, a leaner physique, more confidence, and most importantly, do the things you love and live the life you deserve. Here's your host, Ryan Martin. Welcome, guys, to another episode of the Revive Yourself podcast. Um, today's episode, I'm just going to say we've got a lot of good feedback with, regarding the episode with Karen Thomas, um, episode three. It's been really good, and there's a lot of people that are really happy that we interviewed her, or I interviewed her, because it's given them a new hope, which is really good. Um, and so... As always, if you haven't watched that before, go back and watch that. It's episode two, and there's lots of good information on that episode. But for today's episode, on sorry, episode three, that is sorry, not episode two, episode three with Karen. But for today's episode, episode four, we are interviewing Dr. Thomas Levy, and it's all about the phenomenal health benefits of vitamin C. So, without further ado, here he is. Here's the interview. Strap in, guys, and I'll see you on the other side. Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Thomas Levy from peakenergy.com. Thomas is a certified cardiologist and has written over, I think he's written 11 books now, the latest one being uh, The Hidden Epidemic, Painless um, Infections that That Cause Chronic Diseases. He has also written books on called well, called toxic tooth, death by calcium, primal panacea, curing the incurable, stop America's number one killer, optimum nutrition for optimal health, um, uninformed consent, and the root of all disease. And today we're going to be delving into vitamin C and its many powers, as well as how important the mouth is when it comes to our health and into certain things like root canals, etc. So, welcome, Dr. Thomas Levy, and Merry Christmas. How are you? Ah, very good, Ryan. Uh, happy to be on your show, and Merry Christmas to you and your listeners as well. Thank you very much. Um, how is it over there, weather-wise? All good today? Well, it's a little overcast here in Denver, but uh, very tolerable 40 degrees or so, so uh, not complaining. Yeah, you can get very cold in Denver. Uh, as I've seen by the American football shows. <laughs> <laughs> so today, the first question I've got for you today is, on, is about vitamin C. And one of the questions I get asked a lot as a health coach, and something you could probably uh, probably go into a bit further, is how powerful do you think vitamin C is and what forms are, are best to take, take it in? And what should people stay away from if they're looking at vitamin C products? Well, uh, how powerful it is, I guess, depends on what you're trying to do with it. But uh, in general, vitamin C, because of its antioxidant capacity and its ability to donate uh, two electrons per molecule, and its very small molecular size, and its water solubility and ability to penetrate all the different body spaces and body compartments – Uh, makes it arguably one of the top two most important things to have inside your body, magnesium being the other one. And that is because everything in the body, fuel-wise, actual fuel-wise, runs on electrons. And when you don't have enough electron input, you have an increase of oxidation in your tissues versus uh, enough electrons, which is reduction, And when you start getting too much oxidation, you have disease. And it's really that simple. I mean, all disease, 100% of disease, uh, is secondary to increased oxidative stress or too many oxidized biomolecules that have had their electrons taken away from them by toxins. 
Uh, and when you're able to restore those biomolecules and their electrons uh, with something like vitamin C, you can restore the biological function. So that said, there are very few things that vitamin C cannot positively impact. Uh, and if the reason that the tissues got oxidized is self-limiting and gone, in other words, a one-time exposure to a toxin, you can often expect a complete resolution or, if you will, that horrible word cure when you use enough vitamin C. However, most people get their toxins from internal sources, which you sort of alluded to when you talked about dental. So if you have a source of infection in your body that's continuing to put off toxins and pro-oxidant materials, then something like vitamin C only functions well to, if you will, hold off the dogs and, and keep you at uh, a lower level of dysfunction than you might be otherwise. As far as forms go, pretty much all of the forms of vitamin C are effective, and some are more effective than others, depending on where the areas in your body are that have the increased oxidative stress. So that's bioavailability. Uh, one thing, and it's a large separate subject, but I will say uh, I would advise people to steer clear of calcium ascorbate. Uh, the ascorbate is perfectly fine, but uh, one of my books, Death by Calcium, I address that calcium is one of the most toxic things that people take in on a regular basis. It is a nutrient, but what we call a toxic nutrient. So you need it in small amounts, and when you exceed those small amounts, it assumes a very toxic role in the body rather than a beneficial role, right down to the point of increasing your chance of death from all diseases. The forms of vitamin C most commonly used are sodium ascorbate, ascorbic acid, uh, and they have a form of vitamin C now that's liposome encapsulated. And that's another separate topic except to say that the liposome encapsulation process now allows us to take something orally and actually get it not only absorbed into the gut but get it inside the cells of the body more effectively than if you take it intravenously. That, that might sound crazy at first, but because of the fact that what you're taking, the vitamin C, is encapsulated in a nanospheric-sized ball of fat called the liposome, and that nanosphere can penetrate cells and get inside the nucleus, get inside the mitochondria much more effectively than if an unencapsulated uh, vitamin C were circulating in the blood. So there are things that liposome encapsulated vitamin C can do orally that equals or exceeds sometimes what vitamin C can do intravenously. And vitamin C intravenously is very, very good. I don't want to uh, lessen that. And most of the people that uh, email me or go to my lectures and ask for advice, I say, you know, when you're sick, you really want to take as many different forms of vitamin C as you have available. And that includes liposome encapsulated, sodium ascorbate powder, ascorbyl palmitate, which is a fat-soluble form of vitamin C because regular vitamin C is water-soluble, and intravenous vitamin C uh, if it's needed. Okay. Um, so that was actually one of the questions I was actually going to come on to, um, was actually about liposomal vitamin C because, as you said there, well, Apart from the ascorbic acid and, um, say, vitamin C is made naturally, or you can get naturally from things like acara, cherry, or camu camu. Um, the liposome of vitamin C, as you said, is very, very powerful. Is it, if you take in, so for example, you can get intravenous vitamin C, quite a huge mega dose of, of intravenously. To get that same benefit that you get from intravenous vitamin C, taking it through a liposome, um, would that become toxic in any way? And and how is m most of the liposomal vitamin C, where are they derived from? Because I know that you can get synthetic forms of vitamin C that are derived from coal tar, etc. What is, uh, well, how is liposomal vitamin C made? And is it, toxic in, uh, sorry, is it toxic in any amount or is it perfectly safe? Well, at this point in time, uh, and there's been, hmm, uh, at least 80 plus years of research on it, there is no 
defined dose of vitamin C that's toxic. And it's so non-toxic uh, that you can actually make the somewhat seemingly outlandish statement that vitamin C is less toxic than water. And why do I say that? Because it's very well documented in the literature, for example, that usually psychologically or psychiatrically disturbed people that have water drinking obsessions, they, if you drink a couple gallons of water, for example, in, in very short order, you can cause a dilution of the blood salts, cause seizures and die. And all you did was drink water. A lot of it, mind you, but water. Now, that's the case where water, which is as essential to health as anything on the planet, taken in large amount can kill you. To this point in time, there's no defined dose of vitamin C that's ever reliably toxic uh, and no known toxic dose of vitamin C that could be fatal, much less cause you problems. Uh, when you take vitamin C and don't feel well, for example, it's because it's doing things that are secondarily causing you to have problems, like it's reactivating oxidized enzymes inside your cells, and then those enzymes start kicking out toxins, and when the toxins hit the blood, you feel a little bit lousier. So even when you feel bad when you're taking vitamin C, it's because it's doing something good. Although I, that's not to say you should continue taking it if you feel bad. You should moderate the dose and, and talk to your doctor or your health care provider as to what else you can do to work your way into a, a larger dose. So there is no really known toxic dose of vitamin C. It's arguably, especially when you consider the example of the water, just about the safest substance on the planet that you can take. Uh, mm -hmm. As far as uh, forms of it, there are a number of liposome and pseudo-liposome products out there today. Uh, Live on Labs, to which I'm a consultant, have been for 11 years. They were sort of the first out of the box. Mm -hmm. And they've spent a great deal of money producing a quality product and also testing each batch. Forming liposomes is a very, unfortunately, variable situation from one, one batch to the next. There are different things that impact the quality. Uh, it's never two sources of the same it's it's like if you eat beef or or you or you eat an animal product none of those two products are the same because the animals weren't the same yeah. and and the same thing when you when you're making a product from natural sources those sources can vary it's not to say one is bad and one is good but they're different so it requires testing each time to make sure that you have liposomes of the proper size, the proper concentration. Uh, there are, unfortunately, because of the fact that liposomes are great and people are realizing it, there's a lot of just frankly fraudulent products out there yeah. that uh, have been assayed and have no liposomes at all. Now, with regard to the homemade, uh, and I cover this in an article on my website, uh, <laughs> Lots of people like to say, I just make this stuff up because I want to promote Live On Labs or something like that. Well, as insulting as that is, I just brush it aside and I'll just tell you that uh, we've tested the homemade liposomes at great expense, seven to $8,000 a crack, but they have no liposomes, okay? Now, can a homemade, quote unquote, liposome product be good for you? Sure, you're still taking vitamin C. And it appears that when you take lipids, lecithin, etc., and use an ultrasonic machine, you don't get liposomes, but you get an emulsion. And it's too involved to go in on this particular discussion, but an emulsion will allow the fat that's associated with the water to get better absorbed, so you actually get better absorption of vitamin C, in this quote-unquote homemade source, but they're not encapsulated in liposomes. So once it gets inside uh, the, uh, the GI tract and it gets absorbed into the lymph or into the blood, well, that's it. It's not, a, it's not encapsulated in a liposome. You're not going to get the superior delivery inside cells and inside mitochondria that you get with the liposomes. So my only point to people that like the homemade is enjoy it. 
It's vitamin C. It gets absorbed better than regular vitamin C. But if you have an advanced chronic disease like cancer, for example, and you're hoping to get better on vitamin C and you take something that's homemade and you think it's liposome encapsulated and it's not, and you don't get better, I'm sorry to say you shouldn't give up on it because you still haven't taken liposome encapsulated vitamin C. But right. if you if you have something much less critical and you take this homemade potion and you feel better, great. No problem at all. Just don't think that liposomes have failed you when you have a critical disease and you take it. And in fact, you're taking a homemade version that's never had a liposome in it. Right. Okay. Um, I know Dr. McCullough makes a liposome vitamin C. Do you know if that one's any good? No, that has no liposomes in it at all. You can go on the org website and you can see some extensive discussions of Mercola's product and even uh, an acknowledgement by his personnel, uh, apparently in somebody's communication with his group, that they don't have liposomes in the product but then they say something that's kind of incredible to me, but the liposomes form after you after you ingest it, which to me is kind of ridiculous. But I'll just leave it at that, and I'll okay. say all the evidence that I've seen indicates that Doctor's Mercola, Dr. Mercola's product does not have liposomes. Uh, and go ahead and do your own research on that. Go to the vitamincfoundation.org site, and you'll see the discussions, and, and you can make a decision for yourself. Uh, I will do. Thank you for that. Um, also, you just mentioned something there about disease, about cancer. I heard you, uh, to quote you, actually, that you said when you're talking about someone recovering from disease, when they were asked if um, vitamin C would help them out of, out of a coma they were in, uh, I think they were dealing with cancer as well. You said, Doc doctors need the crap knocked out of them. That's all there is to it. When you have something that's inexpensive, non-toxic, and proven to be effective, you have no right as a doctor not to give it. You have no right to say you don't know about it. Uh, what you have the right to do as a doctor is turn the patient over to somebody else, or you have the right to deal with the legal ramifications, the ramifications of denying somebody an agent that's been so repeatedly proven to be phenomenally powerful, far more so than antibiotics. So what you're saying there is you actually fully believe that vitamin C has the power to, to really help people heal from any sort of illness or disease. Um, is that, that could be correct? Yes, absolutely. And I would uh, say, just to be technical there, it's not a belief. It's just uh, a conclusion that's based on scientific evidence, thousands of scientific papers, uh, and repeated clinical experience by myself and many thousands of doctors around the globe. Uh, it's kind of sad, if you will, but just because maybe, and I don't know that these percentages are correct, I'm just going to throw them out. Just because 5% of the doctors, for example, are doing something that's highly effective, and 95% of the doctors either, either say that's a pile of crap, you're all wrong, this out of the other, and they have no experience with it at all, they have no interest in becoming educated on it at all, and I'll leave you to decide why that would be, that does not invalidate what the 5% are doing. Yeah. And if you look at all of science throughout history, it's really only the motivated minority that's pushed science forward. There, You very rarely get uh, fantastic uh, improvements in health care, in science, or anything else by what the mainstream is doing. It's by the thinkers on the outside, outside of the box that, that actually push things forward. And... Uh, with my experience as a lawyer, I'm a lawyer as well as a cardiologist, the, what you outlined there was uh, inexpensive, effective, and non-toxic. Now, if you're a physician and you deny somebody something that doesn't have a cost problem, is highly effective, there's no known toxicity, and your ego is sometime, somehow challenged by the fact that you don't know about it, that's malpracticable on your part. That's, that's plain and simple. That's, that's the highest degree of malpractice you could have. So 
the doctors that are out there that are trying to poo-poo all over vitamin C and naysay it and everything else, they should be prepared for a legal fight and they should be prepared to have to defend themselves in a court of law for denying many people an absolute life-saving therapy when their mainstream prescription medicines are doing nothing but poisoning the patient and hastening their trip to the morgue. Um, I'm going to come on to that actually in a little bit. You said there, I want to go. I want to come on to that a little bit more because there's, just quickly, I want to say there's another quote that I heard you say, which was, which really had me, um, which really, which I thought was really good. You said properly utilized, the vitamin C could very easily displace or eliminate over 50% of prescription medication. Vitamin C will never fail you if you take enough of it in enough forms. In that regard. I have something called the multi-C protocol. Now, um, first of all, what is your multi-C protocol? And second of all, um, is that is that uh, a different way of doing a vitamin C flush? And if so, what benefits does that have for you? Now, the multi-C protocol is just optimizing your doses of liposome C, optimizing your doses of sodium ascorbate powder, which is the form that will cause the C-flush that you talked about, optimizing your doses of ascorbyl palmitate, which is fat-soluble, and taking intermittent vitamin C IV infusions. Even though all four are vitamin C, they get into the body by different mechanisms, and they get into the cells, and they get access to the oxidized biomolecules by different mechanisms. So if your bottom line goal, if you will, which it should be, is to get abnormally oxidized biomolecules reduced back to a normal electron state so that they become optimally functional again, you want to get the agent that can reduce or reverse the oxidation of those biomolecules in as optimal a concentration where they're needed as possible. And that's the etiology or the reason why the multi-C protocol came about. Uh, some people, uh, well, since all disease processes have increased oxidative stress in a unique concentration and unique location in different areas of the body, not any one form of anything is going to get everywhere. So you want to just optimize your chances of getting vitamin C and other antioxidants that they recharge in the body uh, to where the oxidative stress is. Uh, so that's the reason for the multi-C protocol. Now, you mentioned the C-flush. Mm -hmm. The C-flush is something that's really good and very economical. Okay, the, a good liposome C is pricier than regular vitamin C. Uh, IVs, vitamin C are very, very good, but obviously getting an IV and finding a doctor and taking the time off, that could all be very uh, economy straining as well as time restraining. Yeah. So something that everybody can do and just about everybody can afford, I mean, if they can afford to uh, eat a couple meals a day, they can afford to take enough vitamin C powder on a daily basis to clean out their GI tract. Vitamin C as a antioxidant is the ultimate antitoxin because all toxins exert their toxic effect through oxidation or causing things to be oxidized. So vitamin C is the ultimate thing that can either neutralize the toxin directly or neutralize and repair the oxidative damage the toxins have caused. So when you take sodium ascorbate powder, and the dose is going to vary depending on the person, everybody's got a different toxic load, everybody's got a different sensitivity, but for many people, this translates to maybe uh, a level teaspoon of sodium ascorbate powder two or three times a day. For many people, that will give them a good dose of vitamin C, and pull in enough fluid in the colon so that they get what's called a C-flush, a, a temporary uh, loosening of the stools. And what you're doing is you're not only cleaning out rotting food, but you're also directly neutralizing digestive toxins that are forming before they get absorbed. 
And doing this on a regular basis is very inexpensive and a very good way to take a big step toward maintaining good health. Oh, awesome. Um, I've seen uh, pro athletes taking uh, vitamin C intravenously before, for example, boxers take. I've seen them taking it before a fight. Would this be looking? Would this because of the oxidative stress? It'd be looking to improve their performance. Is that what? Is that what they do that for? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, the less oxidative stress you have in your muscles, uh, the better they're going to perform. Uh, it's it, it, it's it's incredible, but every normal function in the body is pretty much benefited by having less oxidative stress where that for, where that function needs to take place. Uh, now you have what's called physiological oxidative stress. In other words, just for a cell to stay alive, it's going to process oxygen and it's going to have its metabolism proceed forward, and that metabolism will produce oxidized byproducts, which in and of themselves are toxic. But the whole idea, that's why you have an excretion mechanism. I mean, you eat your food, you absorb the good stuff, and hopefully you excrete and eliminate all the bad stuff. Good stuff being reduced antioxidant nutrients, and the bad stuff being the oxidized toxic metabolic byproducts. Same thing for each individual cell. So the more you can decrease abnormal elevations of oxidative stress, the healthier you're going to be and the better you're going to have that particular part of the body function. So there's uh, an enormous amount of benefit in what those athletes are doing. I personally, quite a few years back uh, when I had my clinic open, I don't any longer uh, with my couple friends that I would go to the gym with, we sort of experimented, if you will, or we just took large doses of vitamin C, 50 to 100 grams a day for four or five, six days in a row. And <laughs> on those seventh and eighth days, my personal strength was phenomenal. And I could easily outdo uh, my endurance and my absolute strength uh, in different exercises that I could not even approach if I was just taking my normal supplemental regimen, but not uh, superdosing the vitamin C as I did with the with the IVs. So yes, it makes a lot of sense. As far as I can tell, it's absolutely valid. Yep. But I don't know if lots of people like to see studies, studies, studies. Well, I don't know that anybody has done this <laughs> study, so so you can either. You can either appreciate what I'm saying at face value or, or wait for the study to come out. Yeah, the studies are magic, hey? People don't believe it until it's done. But um, as you say, from personal experience, I've, I've experienced it as well. Uh, having done it, I've, I felt hugely anabolic. I felt really, very good. Um, so I was just wondering if it was something you'd seen as well. So it's very interesting to see that you've done it done it yourself, tested it yourself. So it does does work on their seventh and eighth days strength gain. So anyone out there listening, it could be something you can – Go and practice on yourself. See how you see how you uh, respond. Um, and you mentioned there as well. We're talking about talking a lot about toxins. Um, you mentioned a quote from your mentor. I think his name is Doctor Hargens. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. That's um, correct. You said uh, you said that you learnt more medicine from him than from med school or any other doctor. But it's a quote that he said that I really like because I've used something similar myself, which is um, you can't dry off when you're still in the shower. Um, and so relating to toxins, saying, first of all, to, to stop disease or any sort of illness occurring, um, as much as you can use vitamin C, you've still got to stop all these toxins coming in in the first place. Is that, is that what you mean by that? Sure. I mean, whenever you're talking about any sort of disease, you really have to at least intellectually approach it from two points of view. Uh, what's causing the disease process and what's keeping it going on. And at the molecular level, what's going on that's causing the disease to make you sick. And in virtually all the cases that I know of, <coughs> as I said before, 100% of chronic degenerative disease represents various combinations and various degrees of oxidative stress 
or oxidized biomolecules in different areas of the body, no exceptions. Now, something that I mentioned earlier, but let me take this time to emphasize it, <coughs> all toxins exert their toxic effect by oxidation. So it's, it doesn't have some other magical negative effect. Uh, when you oxidize a biomolecule, bio you take the electrons away, <coughs> you either eliminate or severely minimize its normal biological function. So it becomes very hypoactive or completely inactive and inert until it becomes reduced again and have the oxidation reversed. And that's how poisons poison. Uh, so how can one, how can so many poisons cause so many different syndromes? Because of the biochemical nature of the toxin, where it goes, is it fat soluble, water soluble, is it ionized, is it big, is it, does it target biomolecules that are <coughs> chelators? Uh, for example, uh, you can have uh, mercury and you can be exposed to mercury for 30 or 40 years and then develop multiple sclerosis or some other neurological disease. Uh, so even though it's very toxic for many people, it's not acutely toxic enough to kill them. On the other hand, you have something like cyanide. Mm -hmm. uh, people are going to inhale the cyanide and they're going to be dead in 60 seconds. <clears throat> Why is that? That's because the toxin enters a unique pathway. It goes in a specifically selective for respiratory enzymes that incorporate oxygen. And so very quickly, you lose the ability to assimilate oxygen from the air and you basically uh, die of uh, asphyxiation, okay? So, but they both do the same thing at the biochemical level. They both oxidize biomolecules. And it's just where are they oxidized? How badly are they oxidized? Now, with regard to what Dr. Huggins said, as it turns out, and this is another big subject, but as it turns out, probably well over 90% and even 95% of chronic degenerative diseases are caused and propagated by ongoing sources of focal infection in the body. One of the biggest promoters of oxidative stress and toxins are infections. That's really how infections kill for the most part is they produce a lot of toxins well and of course a big source of toxins that are in my readings and writings uh, are root canals but also other chronically infected teeth that we're now seeing are asymptomatic infected tonsils infected gums uh, chronically infected lymph nodes but chronic infections in the head and neck area are the direct cause and virtually the direct propagator and maintainer of all chronic degenerative diseases. So what Dr. Huggins said was very humorous, but extremely insightful, which is, you know, how can you dry yourself off while you're still getting wet? You know, how can you, you can't dry off while you're still in the shower and you can't cure, you can't cure a disease until you stop what's causing it. So very simple, very straightforward, but very profound words by Dr. Huggins. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, to toxic exposure, especially nowadays and from, from everywhere, especially environmental toxins, like 80,000, I think the last uh, is in the air. So it's uh, one of the things you've got to try to distance yourself from as much as possible, as much as you can. But... Okay, so moving, we're going to move on to a little bit in a minute about what you said about root canals there, but just personally, is it hard being an MD um, and recommending protocols that other doctors might deem alternative, like instead of recommending, well, something you might recommend medication and drugs, but looking at something like vitamin C um, and, and promoting that quite heavily, um, can it can it put you at risk of losing your license or... Is it, is it quite hard to practice new information because no one else out there is like reading the studies that you are? Um, can it, can it like affect your reputation? I mean, a lot of doctors out there, I suppose, are quite, they go on the reputation and if they start looking at alternative things or in the alternative world, um, 
it, can it affect their reputation in the medical industry? Sure, I mean... Could, would it stop them from there, doing so? There are no good alternative doctors that are favorably viewed by mainstream medicine. That's just a simple, straightforward fact. And do you put yourself at risk? Of course you do. Of course you do. Uh, I will say this for myself. I no longer have a clinical practice. I write books. I give lectures, which are still, at least at this point in time in our country, covered by the First Amendment and free speech. Uh, and I'm a lawyer uh, so that I've already had several circumstances that I won't go into detail on where I can say that with, with a quite a degree of comfort that a circumstance I was in, uh, I probably got out of simply because of the fact that I was a lawyer and maybe I was more troubled than I was worth mm -hmm. in terms of going after me legally. I mean, make no doubt about it. Uh, uh, when, when they go after you legally, they're basically cowards. I say cowards because they don't want to make a big effort. They, they want to, they want to, Take you down where it's simple and easiest. So if you're in a situation where they can see that they're going to have a difficult time establishing a case, it's going to be a hard fight, they just as soon find somebody else. Now, let me say this. To be perfectly fair, I have had a number of situations in the last couple of years where people have written me and asked for help with problems with their boards, giving them static and calling into their practices, etc. And on a couple of occasions, uh, I have simply written a letter uh, explaining the science of vitamin C, uh, explaining its usage, documentations in the literature, and the board just uh, resolved the case for the physician and said, okay, no, no more action is required. So the point being is things move slowly. But very, very slowly, we're getting some increased objectivity by mainstream medicine. I suspect one of the big reasons is, of course, uh, the Internet, shows like yours, uh, books out there, and they simply can't keep the genie in the bottle anymore. Mm -hmm. There's too many people that are very well read, know what's going on, and are finally putting their doctor's feet to the fire. Yeah. And uh, I've moved, I was moving on to some of the other studies I've seen. I've I've heard you say before. Um, I think it studies to do with um, uh, that with with the heart heart disease, etc. You just don't understand how these people aren't putting two and two together. I think it was moving on to the I think it was car the cardiologist um, side of what mm -hmm. you do. Um, I think you said. Let me have a look for this one. Yeah, a study done three years ago, and it was published in the main journal of the cardiologist called Circulation. But you don't know a single cardiologist in the country that is sending their bypass or angina or cardiac patients to go and get their go and get their teeth uh, tested, their infected teeth tested by a dentist. I mean, it's moving on to your your dental research. But for, if 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 like, these studies have been published in the main journals, um, how how is this not it's, it's amazing to me that, that more and more doctors out, out there aren't sending their patients to the dentist or they aren't using vitamin C. It's just, they're not having time to read these studies or, or do you think there's more sinister things behind that? Well, you know, this is very interesting, something that I've observed for many years now. I don't pretend to completely understand it, but I'll give you my take on it. And that is... The best way for a good piece of research to die and be buried forever is to be published in a journal mm -hmm. okay. versus versus being published in a book right. that has that has the, the ability to disseminate to people above and beyond doctors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for some 80 years now, uh, we have and I cite this in some of my books, Curing the Incurable. We have multiple examples of an article on vitamin C with a different infection or a different disease process. One was published on rheumatic fever, uh, case reports in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1950, 1960, something like that. 
In each one of the eight case reports, if you read each one, <laughs> you look at what the vitamin C did, you read the symptom response, you look at the disease response, and you basically have eight children and babies that were completely cured of their vitamin uh, of their rheumatic fever mm -hmm. by the doses of vitamin C given to them. But if you read the conclusion of the article and nothing else, you get something ridiculous like the data cited shows that uh, vitamin C does have an anti-rheumatic anti effect uh, and this bears further investigation and further research. Hmm. I mean you have, a, you have a documented cure for rheumatic fever sitting there, but they refuse to say that. They hmm. refuse to actually say what they achieved. Uh, and I mean, researchers are not interested in controversy. They're not interested in rocking the boat. They're not interested in clinicians giving them a hard time. So you'll, you'll really never see an article that says this indicates that vitamin C should be the treatment of choice in something. Yeah. No, you're never going to see that. You're never going to see it no matter how legitimate that conclusion would be. Uh, with regard to that study in circulation, which is the main subspecialty journal of cardiologists, it is truly incredible. This was a group in Finland led by a researcher by the name of Tanya Pesci. And they were in a, a unique situation at their medical institution in Finland where they had ongoing, ongoing uh, basic research to go along with clinical research. So somehow somebody got the extremely bright idea. I mean, this was genius as far as I was concerned to – Ask the cardiologist who admitted acute myocardial infarction patients and then got immediately angiogrammed. Well, when you have an acute infarction, most of the time it's going to be because a blood vessel is completely blocked off, usually on top of a partially occluding plaque. And that acute blocking off is an acute platelet blood clot. So they go in there and they suction out that platelet blood clot and then submit it to Dr. Pesci's group for analysis. Well, when they did this, they found that over 90% of the blood clots had, by DNA profile using PCR testing, had the same DNA as the classical pathogens found in root canals and chronic gum disease, mm. over 90% of the time. And if that, was, if that wasn't impressive enough, here was the kicker, because all the all, there's tons of articles connecting, if you will, the mouth and heart disease, increased incidence of heart attack with gum disease. And they always say, well, this is a link, this is a correlation, but this is not cause and effect. You can't say it's cause and effect. Well, guess what? In Dr. Pesci's study, not only were these pathogen DNA present in these blood clots, they were present 16-fold, that's 1,600% higher concentration inside that platelet clot than in the surrounding blood. Mm. So did a blood clot form and then all of a sudden for some crazy reason, these toxins started concentrating in it? Of course not. That would be asinine to reach a conclusion like that. The only logical conclusion is, is that the toxins and the pathogens were already present in a high enough concentration at the site of the atherosclerotic plaque that they caused the blood clot that caused the heart attack. So my clear interpretation of this is this is definitive proof that heart attacks are caused by dental pathogens and toxins greater than 90% of the time. And like I said, it's published in their main subspecialty journal, and I haven't heard any cardiologist breathe a word about dental toxicity or dental pathogens. They talk all about the time about the coronary artery being inflamed. Mm -hmm. Coronary artery disease is caused by inflammation. Well, duh. What <laughs> caused the inflammation? Okay. Yeah. I mean, the inflammation just didn't magically come out of nowhere. Inflammation occurs due to something. Yeah. Oh, Always. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's so many ways I want to go with this. And like when you talk about the vitamin C as well earlier, I mean, 
for um, uh, for, for, for curing stuff. I mean, Dr. Klenner, I think back in the, the 40s or the 60s, he had 66, 60 out of 60 patients that had polio completely cured. With that was a, that was a, that was like a, a rubbish form of vitamin C as well. And, and you're talking about this. Um, I think the, um, I think it's Dr. Uh, uh, Dolin. Um, Dolin, I think it is. He showed th- um, thermography. Uh, Five pictures of thermograph. If I can mm-hmm. speak, if I can speak, if I can speak. It's actually shown a line travelling from an infective tooth tooth down to tumours. So there has to be some correlation, right? <laughs> so the, oh, it has to. It's like cause and effect, as you said. Um, That's correct. I mean, although we now have the proof, okay, mm-hmm. due to Dr. Pessy's studies, that. Dental pathogens and toxins cause the vast majority of heart attacks. We don't have the proof in the same way that Dr. Pessy did that, but I have absolutely no doubts that we would see the same pathogen profile in malignant press lumps. Yeah, and no question. Yeah, I, no question. I can uh, I can completely understand where you're coming from there. So when people People just uh, we're talking about dental health and talking about heart attacks and, and and other things such as cancer. People in general don't realize how important the mouth is when it comes to general health. I mean, they understand like the oral health in ways that are toothache or etc. That, but um, in your opinion, how crucial is your oral health uh, for your overall health? Um, and in particular, things like root canals. Can, how how badly can they affect your health? <coughs> Well, oral health is the single most important thing you can tend to. I mean, if you have a toxic mouth, just about the rest of what you do doesn't matter. That's how important it is. Uh, A little side, back in the day when they did the movie Ben-Hur with Charlton Heston, and there's a scene in there where Charlton Heston is slogging up and down in the straw pit so they can make bricks to build. That's where they put the gladiators to work, and they wanted they wanted to see some of these work if some of these workers were physically fit enough to be gladiators. And if you go back, you'll see that uh, they come in and they go up to Charlton Heston, and what do they do? They pull his lip down to look at his teeth. So I mean, it's been going on for a long time. You see where they pull the horse's lip down to look at the horse's teeth. It's a very common accepted fact that if you've got good oral health you're healthy and that if you've got lousy oral health even if it's not apparent you're not well so that's there's no question those two things are very big now with regard to root canals uh, to try to make a very important subject well encapsulated encapsulated is that all root canals are infected it's due to the fact that they take the nerve and the blood supply out of the tooth so there's no way the immune system could ever maintain sterility even if it wanted to uh, and <clears throat> so when you get the root canal done if it's done successfully you lose the pain that you came in with because they cut all the nerves But they also took out the blood supply and the structural tissue and the connective tissue and the immune system can no longer get where it needs to go. I mean, the immune system is not witchcraft or magic. It's physical cells that need to get to a physical location. Mm -hmm. And if you take away the matrix upon which they get delivered somewhere, they can't do the job. So all root canals are infected. And some people, they're more clinically toxic than others, but for everybody, they're toxic. And we've already have a number of studies now that show if you have one or more root canals, just whether you have it, not whether it's a well-done root canal or it looks good on x-ray or it feels great, but if you have had one or more root canals done and they're still in your mouth, you have an increased incidence of heart attack, period, which, of course, goes along now very, very, very nicely with the study that Dr. Pessy did in 2013. And, uh, and so instead of root canals, what would you say tell, I tell people to do? Would it be extraction? I mean, if you have an infected tooth and it's painful, 
which is the main reasons that they do root canals, yes, that too's got to come out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to come out if your general health is your main concern. Mm-hmm. I'm not for bullying anybody into anything. I'm I'm for giving people the information, you know. Yep. Some people are going to say, well, you know, I don't want to lose that tooth. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do, but I don't want the tooth extracted. Well, if your hand is forced, then you do the best thing that you can. But if the patient is sitting there saying, doctor, do what's best for my health, an infected tooth has to be extracted and the site has to be cleaned. And if it heals in well down the road, something uh, along the lines of a well-done implant or uh, a partial plate or bridge, depending on whether there's other teeth missing, those are all the options. But once a tooth has become infected, it's got to come out if you want to protect your general health. Okay. And there's no dose of vitamin C that will get rid of that infection? No, not those. Not, not that we know of. Not that we know of. Uh, because, remember what I said, in the root canal, they take out the guts of the tooth. Mm-hmm. If somehow the tooth could stay intact... <clears throat> Um, and the immune system could still get everywhere it went to, well, then there might be a possibility. Okay. Uh, but, but when you take out the structural matrix that the immune system needs to get to an infection, uh, there's no known way. I mean, maybe if there's technology in the future yet that we don't know about, but we don't know it yet. Okay. Maybe at some point in time, they'll, they'll be able to implant stem, stem cells in the in the jawbone, you can grow a new tooth. I don't know. Hmm. But it, in our current state of technology, if you've got an infected tooth, it's got to come out. Right. Uh, now, low-grade infections, uh, it, we're seeing more and more that certain ozone treatments can help, mm-hmm. uh, if not resolve infection, keep it at bay. But still, those tend to be temporary measures in terms of the fact that they still never make an infected tooth normal again. They might lessen the infectivity, but they don't make it normal again. So you're fighting a losing battle. So if we just talk about your latest book quickly, um, The Hidden Epidemic, Painless Oral Infections Cause Chronic Diseases. So with a a root canal or something like that, most people are going to be in pain. They're going to be feeling their tooth, and that's why they go to get a root canal because they they literally like earache, headache, or or toothache are some of the worst things that you can have. Um, You've got a chronic toothache. But that's for people that are experiencing a lot of pain. You're saying here that some of these oral infections that cause chronic diseases are basically painless. This is the sort of research you've done shows that. Yes, and first let me say the hidden epidemic is not yet out. I'm, I'm hoping to get it out in the next three or four months. But what you just summarized is correct. And, and this, this came as a shock to me. And actually, about eight months ago, a friend of mine was getting some root canals extracted. And so they did a 3D x-ray of the mouth just to get all the anatomy and everything in line and know where they were going. <clears throat> And lo and behold, there was an adjacent tooth that did not have a root canal that was completely asymptomatic that had a huge abscess at the tip. Mm. And I said to my friend, I said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but, you know, you've got another big infected tooth and I'm afraid that needs to come out, too. But I kept thinking about it and I said and I just said, I wonder how often this is present. And I started to review the literature, and there's studies in just about every country in the world, the different dental departments, and <clears throat> there's an incredible incidence somewhere between 5 and 15%, depending on the patient population, of all teeth that have evidence of an abscess when you do the highest resolution x-ray, which is a 3D x-ray. The regular x-ray doesn't catch it all the time, catches it maybe 50, 60% of the time, and the 3D catches the rest of it. And this, then I saw a few other studies that looked at the toxicity of these things and compared it to a root canal of all things. And when the root canal was done well, okay, and there was no residual abscess uh, in the root canal after it was done, 
it was less toxic than this tooth that was completely asymptomatic and never treated. So when you look at this and think about it, and then you go back to what we talked about early on where I said the evidence is pretty clear now, at least to me, that all chronic degenerative diseases go back well over 90% and maybe 95% to infections in the head and neck. Uh, the, the remaining small percentage is other much rarer infections throughout the body that you might have in the bowel, the GI tract, the bladder, etc. <clears throat> but most all of it, due to the fact that all the pathogens are in your mouth and you're abusing your teeth on a daily basis, that's where the infections generally take place. So... It made a whole lot of sense because so many people, so many people, they get cancer, they get a heart attack, they don't have a root canal, their blood work looks good or looks pretty good. Why did they suddenly get this horrible disease? Why did they get chest pain? Why did they get a breast lump? And I'm now convinced that the vast majority of the time, based on all this data, and I'll lay it out in my book, is due to the fact that you have one or more asymptomatic but chronically infected teeth, and every time you chew on them, just like when every time you chew on a root canal, you squeeze those pathogens and toxins directly into the lymphatic circulation and the venous blood and circulate it throughout your body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's similar to when, well, say similar, but when a mercury-filling is off-gassing, it's constantly going into your body. Right, uh, a steady delivery, yes. Mm -hmm. And and so what? So the way to counter this or to see this is go and get regular checkups. Well, <clears throat> get regular checkups, but you need to be sophisticated enough to um, ask your dentist mm -hmm. uh, to uh, give you or order with a another dentist whoever has the equipment, what's called a 3D cone beam x-ray of all of your teeth. Right. And this gives you the ultimate resolution as to whether or not the root tips are healthy because there are a lot of small abscesses that aren't picked up on regular x-ray, but this 3D technology is really, is really amazing. And if somebody is listening to us right now and say, well, who has a 3D x-ray? <clears throat> I will tell you that virtually all implant doctors and all periodontologists or gum disease doctors have 3D x-ray equipment. And a sizable but indeterminate percentage of other dentists have it as well. Uh, <clears throat> Expense-wise, as an approximation, uh, it would probably end up being, a, depending on the dentist involved, a 200 to $400 examination. But I think this is something that Everybody that has any sort of disease at all should get as a baseline uh, and then have something to compare to as the years go by. Right. And, what, and so someone goes into there, gets his 3D, um, 3D photographs taken, and they have more than one, two, three, four infected teeth. Do they all have to come out or it depend on the amount that they're infected? Well, <clears throat> unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, once you get a radiolucent space at the tip of the tooth, which is basically an abscess, it means that the inside of the tooth has already become necrotic and is dead. Right. So basically, basically, you're just keeping a gangrenous infected tooth inside your body. And because necrosis, necrosis means dead tissue, okay? When all the tissue inside the tooth is dead, well... That's equivalent to just having had a root canal and having it all cleaned out. If the tissue is dead, the immune system can't get at it anymore. Mm -hmm. So bottom line is, yes, uh, that, it, that's, uh, uh, if you see this type of infection, the best thing to do is to get the tooth extracted. Now, I mentioned earlier, and I want people to understand, I don't, I don't want to dictate anything to anybody – for the person that says, look, that tooth feels fine. I don't care. I don't want it taken out. It feels fine. Do whatever else you want to do, but don't take the tooth out. 
Now, if the patient absolutely forbids extraction because that's just their prerogative, then going to a dentist that does a very high volume, in other words, the one with the most experience of root canal procedures, should go ahead and root canal that tooth because a successful root canal procedure will debulk the infection at the tip. It will often evacuate much of that infection and not make the tooth non-toxic, but make it less toxic. Uh, and then down the road, if, the, if all the problem redevelops because lots of people have redo root canals, then the situation can be presented to the patient again like, well, we can, we can try to do this root canal again, but you're obviously getting a lot of toxins in your body. Maybe now you want to consider getting the tooth extracted. So there's a, there's a lot of leeway there. And doing blood tests at the same time, like the CRP, C-reactive protein, if these are elevated, they can tell you and they can indicate that that infected tooth is having a very profound negative impact on the body already. Uh, and that if you get that infected tooth out and the CRP comes down to normal, then you also have a good indication that you've extremely and positively impacted the general health of that patient. Okay. So, just for for my for, for me here, the question I'd be asking would be, um, just because I, I I wouldn't get a root canal, but if would would not getting a root canal um, then make the mouth toxic anyway? With an, I'm sorry. So with, I'm the, sorry. So with, the, with the, t the tooth that you said, well, you can go and get a root canal just because it it will get rid of the infection on the tip of the tooth. Wouldn't that it'll decrease, decrease decrease the infection? Decrease right. the infection. Wouldn't that then maybe set you up for infections down the road within that root canal? Sure. As I said before, all yeah. root canals <laughs> all root canals are infected. Right. So, but some but but root canals with a large abscess at the tip. Mm -hmm are much more toxic than root canals in which that abscess is no longer accumulating and the inside of the tooth is better sealed. But they're never uninfected. No. Right, okay. Uh, that's, that's, that's perfect, no worries. Okay, brilliant. Um, I think, I've only got you for a short time, I think we'd better let you go there, um, Doctor, because it's been an absolutely brilliant interview. We've covered lots and lots of stuff. And the one thing I was actually got asked from from someone was was about canker sores. If I can do, do that quickly, would vitamin C um, boost your immune system and help with getting rid of canker sores? Is it something that it could they could affect positively? Yes, uh, it should in most cases. I mean, uh, nothing is a hundred percent, but usually. Uh, these type of sores will respond very nicely to any of a number of the different preparations of vitamin C that we talked about. You know, so what you can do is you can use, because they're very painful, you know, you can use uh, local applied anesthetic preparations to temporarily decrease the pain while getting your vitamin C levels up in your body. And for most people, uh, they should resolve much more rapidly than if you didn't do this. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much for answering that, Doctor. All right. If you uh, just in one second, I'll just end out the show. So thank you guys for listening. That's absolutely been interview with Dr. Thomas Levy. Any questions you've got, send them over. Otherwise, I'll see you in the next episode. Stay happy, stay healthy, and we'll speak to you soon. Well, guys, what did you think of that one? That was pretty in-depth. I mean, we went into quite a lot there, covered a fair amount um, and this this the supreme powers of vitamin C and how vital it is for your health and as he said um, you can take I mean water for example uh, to, to such an extent where it becomes toxic for the body and you can actually die whereas there's never been or ne no one's ever found any toxic levels of vitamin C you can take them to such an extent and they've just been hugely therapeutic to the body so real um, it was a real good interview i think you've you probably learned a hell of a lot there um and talking to thomas any questions you've got as i said before send them over to his website and we'll get him to answer them for you um as you may have seen there recorded that episode 
on the 20 uh, it was around the 20th of December in 2016 um, so it was around Christmas time I'm just getting out now I've been got quite a lot of interviews for you guys already in the bank um, it took a while to get this podcast out because I had so many other things on my plate but now it's out so um, I'm gonna well, if we have to uh, get some people I've got so many interviews lined up for you but um, I think talking to Thomas again down the line will be uh, great because he he's always researching and finding out more and more about um, vitamin C and its benefits as well as other um, micronutrients so anyway guys I really hope you enjoyed that um, you can jump on over to www.reviveyourself.co if you haven't already to pick up your free copy of the healing health paradigm um, especially if you're struggling with any health issues and if you are and you'd like to um, maybe resolve these you can always jump over there as well www.reviveyourself.co as I mentioned forward slash contact and you can send me a message and I'll get back to you as soon as possible um, otherwise guys that's episode 4 and uh, can't wait to get episode 5 up we've got some really good interviews for you lined, uh, lined up I think Number five is going to be um, with undecided yet, undecided yet. It'd be a surprise, actually. It'd be a surprise. So you're just going to have to wait and see. Um, so episode five be coming out very, very soon. Um, and as always, guys, as I like to say, uh, keep giving me back info. If, if you're liking the, if you like the shows, um, any questions, send them through to us and we'll get to them. Okay, guys, so hope you're well and I'll see you on the next episode. If you're struggling with gut issues such as gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, indigestion, heartburn, and want to finally be able to eat the foods you love without the crippling after effects, then don't forget to head over to reviveyourself.co and pick up your free copy of The Healing Health Paradigm today.